Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, friends. My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you so much for listening to Independence Day, the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, scrote. There are an awful lot of guitar players in the known universe. Indeed, part of the instrument's popularity can be attributed to its accessibility. Pick up a pawn shop six string, learn a few hackneyed chords, throw a few words together, dime out your ramp, and you're fronting a band in a matter of months. Even some of the most well-known performers possess not much more than a remedial understanding of the guitar's capabilities. But some guitarists devote their lives to this enigmatic instrument, and they not only master it, but they keep pushing boundaries as far as what it is capable of doing. Scrote is just that sort of gifted guitar player. He's based in Los Angeles, but he has toured the world and worked with artists like Jackson Brown, No Doubt, Ben Tench, Reeves Gabrels, Van Dyke Parks, and myriad others. Scrote is a searcher, playing multiple styles of music in different ensembles, as well as producing albums and working as a musical director for tours and other projects. One of his current bands is called Double Berry Sax Attack, and it sounds just as you might imagine. Avant-garde guitar, high-energy vocals, driving drums, and a pair of guttural baritone saxophones that play rhythmic and melodic figures, as well as wailing solos. And if that's not enough badassery for you, Scrote sometimes scales up the lineup to a quadruple berry sax attack. Welcome to Independence Day, Scrote. Hey, Thanks. buddy. Thanks, man. And you know what I say at every single show, without fail? Hey, man. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, Why not? That's I think the it's most what appropriate I've, intro. That's what I've said to like as a term of endearment to everyone I've known for probably 30 years. Hey, man. Yeah. Even with a woman, you know. Hey, well, in, e- in emails, too. I, in text, I've noticed I'm, hey, man, blah, hey, blah, man. blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's, well, it's like the music uh, vernacular. Yeah. You know, hey, man. Maybe it's other things, too. I don't know. Yeah. In any case, so I met you uh, through a common friend. Right. Uh, Pi Jacobs, an excellent musician who spent the ro- uh, spent the summer out on the road right. in the wilds of the southeastern United States. And uh, she's got this great place up in, uh, what would you call that area? Um, Sun... Sun Valley. Sun Valley. Yeah. Okay. Or Sunland or... Sunland. I don't know the difference. I, I know how to get to her house. It's all, yeah, I know how to get there. But I don't, yeah. I don't know the difference yeah. between the two. It's not that far. <laughs> anyway, so hey, Pi, thanks for introducing us. Yeah. And nice to meet you. And we got to talking at the pool party. And you've got such an amazing experience. Oh, in thanks. music and in life, and I thought, what a perfect thing to bring to the Independence Day listeners. So, um, give us like your baseball card. You know, where did you come from? You know, how did you get from Indiana, which is where you right. first came from, to right. Los Angeles by way of all these other places? Yeah, it's funny because uh, uh, I really don't claim a home because I was born in Indiana, and my dad is civil engineer, so we moved every six months to year and a half all growing up the longest i was anywhere was three years we had looped back to indiana elkhart indiana where i went to high school and um yeah and then from there i went to north texas i picked up guitar my senior year in high school Uh and um started right off with this uh well-known trumpet player named pat harbison who heads the indiana university jazz program uh thinking from taking over of David Baker. But at the time, he was fresh out of New York City, okay. uh, playing with John Schofield, um, and he came to my high school through an NEA grant, which okay. I don't even know if they have any NEA grants anymore for high school. I'm sure the Bush administration I, I think they're pretty put dead. the kibosh on all that stuff. But um, that NEA grant basically put me on the map here. Okay. <laughs> because uh, 
Pat's a heavy bebop player, and I had been playing guitar about three months, uh-huh. and he didn't play guitar, and he turned me on to uh, music, and Wes Montgomery and Grant Green and okay. John McLaughlin um, right off. And uh, I remember I had played him. Yeah, I've been playing like three or four months at this point, and I asked him... Uh, what do you think of this guy, Eddie Van Halen? Uh, played him Eruption by Edward. Van Halen. Yeah, <laughs> Edward. And I played it for him, and he's like, huh, well, it's not very interesting note choice. I was like, wow, note choice, choosing notes, that's important. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then uh, he goes, well, let me play you this. And he played me uh, Birds of Fire by Mahavishnu Orchestra. Okay. And it was the middle of the day, and I was hallucinating Did your brain explode yeah it exploded i was hallucinating an animation of a woman and her husband in their kitchen in like large simple animation and he was sitting at the dinner table and she was beating him over the head with a rolling pin and the animation was specific beautiful. hallucination yeah man. the animation was beautiful and it was demonic just like mahavishnu orchestra to me okay. and he got that tune finished my brain was pretty blown and he said well what do you think of that and without forethought whatsoever i just turned and pointed out and said i want to play guitar the rest of my life i don't play okay. just like that oh that's cool and that was it 16 done and i've been chasing that ever since beauty uh beauty for you know via darkness right i mean you can't to me you can't have beauty without some darkness consonance and dissonance in yeah contrast there's got to be that relationship there for me to be really truly beautiful yeah. so are you, know? you are you a fan of guys like mark rabot and uh who are the guys from television I robert a, Klein and the other guy rabot i get a lot of rabot comparisons okay and uh adrian blue was a huge okay. huge influence for me I started off. The only the only player as a guitar player, like in my you know musical lineage, that was influenced by uh, those guys, like McLaughlin, uh, Trevor Rabin. Oh yeah, was right. with Yes for that's a while. That's later like, for yeah. me. Kinda, yeah, he yeah. was. But that, but I'm just saying that's that's the only way. That, that's where I have to trace that back through him because right, I wasn't really right. a fan. I love Rabot, yeah. but I wasn't a fan of uh, McLaughlin. How do you pronounce the orchestra? Mahavishnu um, Orchestra. Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yeah. Like I wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just didn't hear it very much. And then once I listened to Trevor Rabin and he had an interview, he was like, oh yeah, I listened to this. And oh, then you okay. go up and then over, you know. And that's where the, you know, blues was like that too. You know, all the kids who in the 70s who grew up, oh, I love Eric Clapton and the Stones. And now all this, luckily for us, all those guys were like, no, no, no. Look back at Muddy Waters. Look back at John Lee Hooker. You know, Look back I at went Charlie. To, you know, yeah, Charlie. an opposite route. My mom's a singer, uh, a pro singer, and pretty uh, striking in her professionalism and her ability. Uh-huh. And but I grew up an athlete. But I took piano, classical piano, when I was little. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I wanted to be a pro football player. You know, after oh. wanting to be an architect, okay. and an astronomer, and all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, finally got onto music, and then. Instead of starting in rock and blues, I literally started with Grant Green. Okay. <laughs> uh, bebop ch- blues changes and my right, right, orchestra. Right. And then, uh, and funny mention, yes, yes was a real influence on my writing. Okay. Because, and I don't know if people would think that listening to my tunes, but if you know harmonically what's going on and you see that it's extended harmonies yes um and then later steely dan oddly enough right. uh but yes i was like wow you could write melodic material right. using 13th chords and yeah yeah 
Sharp fives. Like, Man, wow. Steely Dan for huh. me is like the coolest band in the world for like four minutes. <laughs> and then for like four minutes and one second, I'm like, I, just, I can't take it. It's too much. They're funny on the, on the scene because they were really revered way back in the day. And I thought they were great. And like I say that I kind of found them later, but they, but, uh, I'm a huge fan of all the seventies kind of stuff up to about Gaucho. What's I what's think. Mr. Steely Dan? What's his, uh, it's Walter, Walter Becker and, and Donald Fagan. Fagan. I produced yeah. an interview with Fagan when I was oh, working okay. for wow. an NPR station. Cool. So I cool. got to talk, chat with him just a little bit and he's kind of a weird dude, which oh, is not surprising in any way. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> it's funny how you talk about like these, you know, these, this style of music that's, it's not sim- simplistic, I should say, because simplistic right. is not necessarily a bad thing. No, but no, I remember no, when no, I, no. you know, I was fairly accomplished as a guitar player. I went to Berkeley for a little while in Boston college okay. of music. And when I, I showed up with my guitar, the first guitar lesson, and I, I, it was the weirdest thing because the guy was, you know, older guy, glasses, old, big old, like ES-175, yeah. jazz guitar, style guitar. Who was it? I don't remember. Okay. I, I have no idea. It's too long ago, man. Because, uh, yeah, my school in North Texas, they're tied. Yeah. My teacher in North Texas started the Berkeley program. Yeah. And the guy who runs it now was in class with me. Yeah. No <laughs> earthly idea, man. Yeah. No earthly yeah. idea. And, in any case. Cool. But, you know, yeah. we sat down for the first lesson, and it, would, it made me feel weird because he was like, he would play like a major seventh chord. He's like, right. do you like the sound of that? And I'm like, how do you answer that? Like, <laughs> completely devoid of context. Just, that's what I was going to say. Just devoid by itself, of key, like... Completely devoid of song. He would just play like a G major seventh chord. Do you like, and he would ask me very clinically, do you like the sound of that chord? And I would say, sure. I don't not like it. You know, it's, 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 it, I felt as if like, uh, you know, he was the, con- he had landed from the Mayberry and here's some dude in a loincloth, you know, right, bring right. some sugar for the first time. Do you like the taste of this? <laughs> right. and I, I was like, and then he had played another like, you know, add yeah. nine chord or 13th chord or 11th chord or whatever. And he's like, do you like the sound of that chord? I'm like, and, how do I, and I'm thinking in my head, like kind of like a smart ass, like, how am I supposed to answer this? There's no right. chord changes. There's no, I mean, how does it work against the melody? Yeah, right. Is it a voice singing the melody? Is it a violin? Is well, it particularly whatever? a major seventh or a major ninth. I have issues with those in general. But yeah. they, <laughs> I know that friends are very know, careful. With my friends those have favorite things. chords. My buddy Tony Piscotti, yeah. great musician, he loves the G major seventh chord with the. That voicing and the, the open voicing, right, right, with, uh, with the F sharp on the, the high. Yeah, D that's cool. Yeah, that's like that. I he like puts that. that in like yeah. every song. And until I started yeah. teasing him about it, and then he stopped. <laughs> in any I like case, it better like that than you know yeah. a movable chord situation. Yeah, I love. Yeah. I mean, I love open chords. They just ring. Yeah. They resonate nice. so much. In any case, I am talking with a guy named Scrote. He's a very accomplished musician, mostly a guitar player. Mostly, yeah. I double on bass quite a fair right. amount. Okay. Actually, I play, I play bass with Pi quite a lot. Okay, yeah. but also plays bass. Plays. Yeah. Uh, he's keyboards. a producer. He's an arranger. Yeah. Keyboards. He does. You know, one of those all-purpose utility guys. Uh, and you can learn about him. Drop by his website, which is Scrote Music. And just so there's no confusion, it's S C R O T E, not S C R O A T. Yeah. Which is the kind of a way. Uh, you know, you can alternate pronunciation of your name, but scrotemusic.com is where you can find stuff about him. Facebook.com slash scrotemusic. Pretty much scrotemusic across the whole interwebs. Twitter yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's got a bunch of albums out, six, and he's worked on other people's records, countless other people's records. But this, let's play a little bit of something that you get from one of your records. Uh, this is from your most recent release, a song called Beautiful to Wear. Uh, and the record's called, I love this title, man, Awkward Songs of Love, Sin, and General Mayhem with the Oxford comma. <laughs> Correct. All right, Scrote on Independence Day.
Imagine how I sparkle in your eyes Someone here to tell my stories to About my favorite things Love the sound of my voice Bouncing in your hair It's a man named Scrote. My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you very, very much for listening to Independence Day. We come to you just about every other week, sometimes more frequently than that, depending on how much work I've got going on in my world. You can drop by indepday.com to check out all of our episodes. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Also, indepday.com slash iTunes if you're, if you're an Apple person. So you've got two options. Lots right. of other places to get it. So 140-plus episodes on there, lots of really great musicians. And Scrote, thank you for being one of them. I appreciate it. Thanks man. for having me. It's, really a, it's, it's my the pleasure is mine. So uh, let's let's back up even a little more. Like, Tell sure. me about your, your musical world growing up. You know, were you, you said you were an athlete in high school. Like, Did, did you really pick up guitar and then go to music school yeah, in such a short know, amount of time? I, uh, yeah, I was, uh, it was funny. I had this conversation with, um, with my girlfriend's kids the other day about to what I used to want to be growing up because they're 11 and 13, you know, and like Very everybody. Very big topic of discussion when you're that age. <laughs> you know, you float around a bit, but I was heavily into uh, architecture, uh, studying medicine. I was very uh, heavy, academic kind of guy, a little little kid. And so um, 
I ended up being uh, in some advanced programs in language, so I studied language really early. And then eventually I got down to, I want to play pro football. <laughs> I don't know how I got to that. I was playing sports all growing up, and then I wanted to play pro football. And then uh, right before my senior year, I I uh, cracked a vertebrae and was almost uh, paralyzed from the shoulders down at a football game and return, uh, uh, returning a punt. And so I was... Uh, in a back brace for a while, and then wow. I came out of that. And they said, well, "How old were you? So what, what year in school?" I'm saying that was uh, my junior, junior year, year. Okay. in high school. And then for my senior year, um, I started working out with the football team, um, and it was a little iffy to play. And then I was having uh, issues with the coach, who I deemed a racist, and uh, we kind of had at it about those kind of issues. And um, and then the doctor's like, you shouldn't be playing anyway. And so okay. I, I was like, well, senior year, I want to have fun. And I had been playing guitar uh, for about a month. <laughs> and uh, the guitar player for the school had just graduated. And so uh, I wrote some tunes and auditioned, and I, I made it in all the, the bands. I wrote some jazz tunes. Now, I had some background in music because my mom's a singer, and I played piano, but right, it was so you classical. Knew chords. I knew chords. I was playing how like theory, simple Chopin and Shostakovich kind of things, but I wasn't really thinking about, you know, it was just a kid taking yeah, yeah, piano, yeah. you know. Um, so, but I guess that between the two, that developed my ear pretty far. So I was able to write, learn some tunes. And write some, uh, make up some tunes and audition for the jazz band, and I made it in. And then that also made me the into the ensemble back in the swing choir. Right, 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 right. And then Pat Harrison came from NE Grant. And I dropped all my classes, normal like college English and calculus, and went to all music related classes except one English class. So you, that's that's amazing that you had came from a school that had we had very few music classes. We had choir, band. Show choir, but that was extracurricular. That was outside of the school. Right, and right. any musical or play, that was outside of stuff. But then we had one music theory class, which they only taught in the spring every year. So once wow. a year, you could take three. That was it. Well, uh, I was telling the, the sax players, I don't know if you heard that, I went to high school in Elkhart, uh, Indiana, where uh, it's the home of Selmer and Kahn. It's the band instrument capital right, of the right, world. Right. And then between that and my high school band director was Cos Roommates with Doc Severinsen. He was a trumpet player as well. The former band leader for Johnny Carson's Tonight yes. Show. Love for yes. the for younger generation. He yeah, may not know the name well Doc known. Severinsen. And so I'm here at the band instrument capital world, you know, with that context and brought in the NEA, uh, NEA brought in National Endowment of Arts. Also, people don't know, it was a grant program, brought in a pro trumpet player. And so I learned jazz from him. Um, and so I was just ensconced like immediately in the first couple yeah, of months yeah, yeah. and the trumpet player, Pat Harvison, he, he was like, you've only been playing two months. I want you yeah. by my side. Cause he just wanted to mold me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Tabula rasa, yeah. man. <laughs> so, and that's cool. I mean, I feel like, I mean, you know, I'm sure that's, that's a unique skill set that you have as an individual human being. Right. But I also feel like when you're that age, you're so much more malleable. Yeah. You know, you can kind of switch tacks and like. You know, what's that onion article about? Like the kid is in his like hippie phase and then three months later he's in his all black cure phase and then three <laughs> right. months later he's in his preppy phase. And it's like, but that's the kid. Like you're trying to find your identity as a human, what you're going to do with your life. I think I would have been all over the map until I hit that spot where I heard the Maya Vishnu and I okay. locked into that. Okay. You know, 
And what's funny too is since Pat didn't play guitar, I didn't really have any guitar lessons. I just had music lessons on guitar. Right. So I've always kind of angled at playing music on guitar and not actually playing idiomatic guitar things. Right. Um, it's almost like the edge. There. Uh, the edge right. is like that. He almost it's like he he invented his own thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that. I mean, I guess I don't know that much about his history, but I, I remember reading at some point maybe that he hadn't really had many. I lessons. think they were all like that. And the, yeah, I think they well, I was, yeah, I yeah. think they were too. But yeah. but he just kind of they. Well, that's why they're so good is they they grew into the musicians together. Right. You know, as yeah, kids, sure. they were kids right. when they started. Yeah. And then the Edge has got such a unique and distinct style. Yeah. Because you know, somewhere along the line, he got a delay pedal and never looked back. Right, right, you know, and right. it's his thing, and it's awesome. Well, for know? me, it was harmony. That not the delay pedal was harmony. So right. I was so deep in it so fast before I really knew what was going on that a year later, by the time I got to North Texas, University of North Texas, which is a heavy bebop school, yeah, yeah, I really didn't learn much new theory all the way through college, which is bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. I had barely played guitar, so I yeah. had to catch up fast. <laughs> so, did, but did you, did you also have to learn like classical voice leading? Because yeah, play but piano. I, I kind of had that going on already. Okay. I kind of had that in arranging and a little bit. We kind of since Pat didn't play guitar, that's kind of where we concentrated. He explained why things were and what they were and what they meant to each other and functionality. So, you know. I spent, and then I learned the, the neck of the guitar. So a lot of people learn patterns and things on guitar. I just learn notes. And even now, I just look at it, and it looks like a keyboard to me. It just okay. looks like notes. Yeah. Um, and so that really helps free up and bring in different harmonies and everything. Because yeah. I'm not just relying on something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's wrote. a guitar player thing. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's such an accessible instrument for so yeah. many people. You know, if you really want to be a slacker, you learn three chords and get a capo. Yeah, and, and you you're can off go a long way. You know, and some honestly, some of the greatest pop music, uh, rock music, you know, not so much jazz, but like that stuff that everybody knows. You know, I I love uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Totally underrated like, to me. I feel like they're like the quintessential American band, and I we I have this conversation yeah, with people all the time. I, agree. I actually think that they're the greatest American band. I would knock that uh, because you know you, who else are you going to put in contention? I mean, band. You know, granted it was Fogarty, but still Aerosmith, no chance. Yeah. Uh, Springsteen and Petty, front guy in band. Yes, yeah. they're a band, but it's it's a different category. Yeah. I feel like. So I'm talking a band. You know, a band of guys. Granted, yes, all Fogarty, but uh, they invented like American rock and roll in a way. I mean, not the old school like Chuck Berry thing, but like made it like a white guy garage band thing. And they and it's and all those songs are classic canon. Well, oddly, just the other night I was saying similarly the same thing because the um, it's funny to me that they don't get as much recognition because anytime I hear them compared to anything else that age, I'm like, man, those guys are rootsy and melodic, but they're edgy at the same time. And they a little psychedelic, style, even. A little, they got some, uh, some growl into it, and I like I like it way better than Brewsting and yeah. Petty and all. And that, that voice to me. You know, great voice. Fogarty great. still. And it's, you, you know, know, the funny thing about Fogarty, he remains a committed musician. I remember 10 years yeah, ago, maybe 15. Touring. Well, yeah. not just touring, yeah. but he, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, somewhere along the line, he wanted to learn slide guitar, which is a whole thing. Sure it's is. It's not yeah. just, you don't, don't just pop on a slide and do it. It's like a religion, yeah. right? I was still so, learning. So yeah, so he committed, like he practiced five, six hours a day for years. 
years, you know, not just farting around, yeah. like learning the proper way to do it. And so, you know, think a guy like Forward, he's got nothing else to prove right. to anybody. <laughs> nah. Millions selling records uh, and revered. Yeah. But yet he's still pursuing something in music, learning a whole new thing. You right. Know? And I, I think he's great. Fantastic. Yeah, that's just kind of that lifer thing. There are yeah. those who are going in it, you know, which you see a lot. I mean, it's it's a stereotype, and it, and it's true, but whatever, you know. I yeah. mean, in L.A., people come, and they're going for a certain thing, and then they get it, and they drop off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah. Do what you do. Do the yeah. best you can. doesn't matter. But then there's the others that are just doing it because it feeds their soul. And Yeah. That's the phrase do, that I like to use in, when, when I think of it in my own world or my own life is, I can't not do it. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it would be, and I wish sometimes, man, I wish I could not be addicted to making music because I'd have a nicer stereo, I'd have a nicer car, probably a better job, more oh, yeah. vacation time. Um, the list of uh, amenities yeah. is, is never ending, you know, yeah. but I can't not do it. I can't imagine, I can imagine getting away and it would just eventually pull, it would just, I would quickly yeah. end up back. So like, why waste the time? Yeah. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit more about that. But first I want to play a song. I want to hear sure. some specific Great. examples, like how music has played into your life choices, which is always a fun thing to ask okay, people. Sure. But first, uh, what's this first song you're going to play for? You mentioned saxophones before. It's going to be a big theme on this tonight show. So tell me a little bit about this first song. What's it called? Uh, Irene Sylvia. So, uh, yeah, I tell the backstory of this song in particular was, um, and this is a good one to choose actually. Uh, Irene Sylvia, I was at the top of Mulholland Drive, and at the time I was living in West Hollywood, and the melody popped into my head as I was driving down the hill um, on what's that, La Cienega or something, or going by that restaurant, what the uh, Pache? Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> so I'm coming down that whole thing, you know, and the melody of this came into my head, and kind of the whole thing i got home and i thought okay let me get the chords i got the chords and you know 15 20 minutes i had the, all the melody of the chords and that's what this song is that's exactly the way i had it on the drive and then i um i wanted to finish it quickly so i wrote a good friend of mine uh holland greco who's on zappa records and i said you know you want to try some lyrics for this um I'm looking for something, a love story about loving something alien or something foreign. And so I sang her some goobly you know, phonetic Gibberish. sounds. Yeah. Which, you know, sometimes lead into a word. She took that and sent these lyrics exactly as they are back. And it's about a guy looking through a window at a house and catching a female grim ripper, reaper slicing someone up to death and doing it with such style and grace he fell madly in love with her right there looking in the window you are one imaginative <laughs> individual Scrooge. and then he yeah he fell in love with her and offered himself up to her as her next victim so that sounds very german to me. <laughs> <laughs> well and you know what as far as barry so i had my friend ron jubla come in and play some barry to it and he did some different takes some ideas and then i went back and edited it and then I kind of put them on top of each other. I'm like, man, I just like these stacked on top and okay. these ideas. I started editing his ideas together. And this really became the first tune uh, before I even did the Double Berry band okay. I, that had Double Berry. And then that started happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll hear a lot and, about that tonight. We'll come yeah. back around after that. Cool. We'll talk a little about the Double Berry attack. But there's a right. couple of the topics we want to read around to first. So much cool. to talk about. My guest tonight on Independence Day, a man named Scroat. I don't know why I have to preface it with a man name. I can just call you Scroat. <laughs> 
Uh, this is Scrote with the track Irene Sylvia. The record that this was on, if you want to pick it up, is called Never Let the Little Man Down. And uh, it's also going to be featuring two baritone saxophone players on this, and their names are Dan Boise, correct? Is that how you pronounce Dan that? Boise. Yeah. And Sylvan Carton. Yep. Pretty close. All right, That's good. It. So Scrote, accompanied by two badass berry players on Independence Day. Irene Sylvia. Irene Sylvia, you carry out your crimes, it's only right, really like you. Violent scenes I caught you making, oh no bloom could hold sickle like you. I am sown in my mind I wear pom-pom attire and die Really like you It seems right to Delivering goodbye in every you a nearly good spider web and bone center pieces blood red home oh my lord Sylvia you I will seek out tomorrow Twice in on the money to someone I would like to grin like stocks to please you lollipop No one holds the main answers as you do Angel of my lost attitude Will murder sedative you
That is Scrote, accompanied by Dan Boise and Sylvan Carton on baritone saxophone, doing what he calls the double. What do you call it, the double berry attack? Double berry sax attack. Double berry sax attack, yeah. which is a cool thing. It sounds like a great. It sounds like a sandwich, almost <laughs> in, a, in a really right. good way. Because I'm kind of hungry, uh, but that's great, man. Really, really good stuff. Interesting. Thanks. Like Thanks. I get, I get all kinds of flavors in there. Of course, you know the obvious ones with saxophone. You get with the low berry, you get like a little morphine in there. Sure. But like yeah. lyrically and like the way the vocal interplays with that, I get Elvis Costello. Cool. He's a very legitimate cool. musician. Uh, yeah. I've ever studied his stuff. You know, right. he knows his way around a song, knows his way around a vocal. Um, really cool stuff. You know, and I want to talk about the double berry sax attack. But first, yeah. uh, since we're still kind of getting to know you a little bit, tell me how the role, of, like people in your life, have they been supportive? Like when you told your parents, like I want to be in music, where they your mom was a singer, but sometimes that means they're going to be not supportive. Um, you know, were they yeah. were, your, were your folks like, oh, that's awesome, go. Or were they like, well, you better have something to fall back on? It was or, the fall back thing. Okay, fall back. I think that they they're still thinking I you know should probably fall back on something like yeah. well you know that day's probably long gone yeah <laughs> <laughs> that shit is sailed you know, <laughs> they got stuck on you know and they're they're older so they they're a little bit stuck on the fifties musician right, idea right. where they're everybody's all drugged up and right 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 wild and I've had those days uh, been a while but the uh, um you know that was getting into pro guys I mean right. pst, I don't really hardly know anyone who's like that <laughs> it's so funny to everybody's story is different in that regard I mean my yeah. parents were supportive you know I'm sure somewhere I mean I, I got more of the fallback on talk from other relatives like right, my, right. my my dad's aunts and uncles like that generation you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We're like, well, you, they're Alabama, Joey. You better, <laughs> you better think about doing something else. I don't, I don't think this. You know, you're you're a fine musician, but I don't. I'm not sure. You, you know, better have something else. <laughs> right. And uh, you know, and I and I guess you know that the life in music for me has been, you know, the music was always the thing, but sometimes to go straight this way, I had to go over there first, right? Because you, know, right, you got to eat, right. you know. Sure, and and yeah. I have made a living at it sometimes, right. um, but then you know I've done. People ask me what I do sometimes, and I say, "Well, I'm a musician, which means I'll do anything you'll pay me to do. You know, <laughs> right. dig your hole, build your house, cook your food, whatever. You know." And I wasn't too proud about it because it always got me to that end goal. You know, that's, right, what was, right. that's what I was aiming for. But so now, now, how about in like romantic relationships? You know, because that's been a theme, a theme in my life. Like various women were more or less supportive of my choices to work with music in the beginning. They like it's, it's like, "Oh, it's very sexy. He's a right. guitar player. I want to date that guy." But then when the reality sets in and you're going on tour or you're buying a new amp instead of fixing your car, like have you been yeah, right. fortunate in that regard or has it been kind of a rough um, go? I probably naturally gravitate out if that's coming. Okay. <laughs> or if I see that that's an issue. I don't know if that's really been an issue. Uh, it was an issue, a long relationship I had uh, when I was younger and I started touring heavily and it was hard for you to imagine to keep that relationship going. Yeah. So it was a problem, not for that person. It was just difficult for me because just leaving that person. Right. And we were young. So I was like, well, we should just split because I have to. Right. That know, was probably, I, mean, I hate to sound like mercenary <laughs> about know. it, but that was probably the smart choice. You're saving both you and her a lot of heartache down the road. Yeah. There's I, no way I had to do uh, those things yeah. and everything and live that life. It's been the, pretty uh, amazing. When I, I've toured full-time, and yeah. I know, I mean, everyone I know back then who was either divorced already or who <laughs> anyone who's still doing it has since been divorced. 
Right. You know, it's like, it, it's just very, very hard on relationships. It's tough, you know, and at that time, when you're younger too, you really don't know, and it's a great time to go explore the world right. and let it all hang out and do whatever. Um, and so now, having that experience and everything, I'm in a totally different place, and I can understand right. both sides and a little bit more better how to manage them and yeah. things, sort of, in theory. Yeah. Maybe I'll be told after this, well, that's not really true. <laughs> I mean, the worst for me is when it, you know, the, the, the Jekyll and Hyde thing, like I've had it sprung on me, like exactly. And maybe it's just a sore spot in my world where like right, I was dating right. this particular girl and, and things were going great. It had never been better. And I mean, I think it was more of a, a mental health issue on her end, honestly. I mean, and, and I mean that literally um, because, you know, everything was hunky dory for six months, eight months. And then like one day it was like, well, you're never going to have a job. You're never going to have financial stability. You're never going to have these other things. And I'm thinking, what? Where do you know, I can't say the word. Yeah. But like, what? Wait, no. This is the first time I've heard of this, which you know, now that I'm older and looking back at other relationships and seeing how they work, that's not that far into the relationship in the big scheme of things, in the grand right, scheme of right. things. So it's like, okay, that's probably about when that would happen. You know? I do remember I did uh, in one relationship a dad talk asked me if I was, you know, at some point I would do this and had, you know, it comes from a family uh, of money and all this and about managing money and, you know, if I'm going to connect with his daughter long term and get oh, her married. Dad. Her dad. What are your intentions with my daughter? You know, that's that speech. Yeah, I mean, you know, that kind of joke around with that, but in all seriously, a serious talk about, you know, money because he's got money and what's right. he leaving it to even though he read me as like responsible that way and i had to look him in the eye literally and just say it's not happening Susie I'm has expectations changing. will you be able to maintain her standard of living and expectations <laughs> is what that was oh yeah or graduating to the my world of right and it, i think it was more about like uh his he was an older cat, so he didn't really know. He still got that thing. Because yeah. you can, uh, you know, I know plenty of musicians now uh, who figured out how to make money, how to save money. Musicians aren't quite as frivolous as they were in the past. Right. As the, they can't be. Yeah, as the business grew, you know, you hear all the 70s stories and 60s, people lost all their money, didn't know. Pro guys tend to be at least more than before a little bit aware and stashing their cash away or putting it in bonds or you know what i mean they're burying it in their yard whatever they gotta do (laughs) something there's a little more awareness that you have to do that you know yeah so it's an odd life choice man i'm not gonna lie you know it's a very (laughs) peculiar way of going about things and you you know it's but you know that comes back to that can't not do it thing you know, it's yeah. like, since I can't not do it, I'm going to have to, everything else is going to have to fall in line one way or another. And some of them are going to fall right in and some of them are going to be square pegs and some of them will never fit, but you keep doing it anyway. Well, I think I was lucky with, once again, Pat Harbison in high school from the NEA grant coming in because I immediately was put in the hands and in circles of great, great players and how to recognize what a great player is. Cause that's a skill level that has to be developed with young people too. Um, you know, there's a lot of players who are good and then there's great. Why is that one person greater? Well, that's something you have to recognize and learn. And then there's like, well, that guy's untouchable. And some people, um, well, most people wouldn't have that skill. They'll just like, sounds good to me. That's a good drummer. I mean, even musicians, they'll just like, yeah, he's great. He's great. I think that, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that great is also, um, 
subjective to a certain extent. Because sure. what's great in one style, you know, may not be great for all styles. You know, yeah. Like, would people say that BB King is great? Right. I would say yes. Sure. Yeah. You know, but yeah. he doesn't play. He didn't really play chords. So he's not yeah, going to be comping right. to your track. You drop him in a session, he's going to be like a, <laughs> that's funny, be like a dog on skates. It's a skates. funny idea. What do you, <laughs> you know? So that's, he's not the right, that. you know, it's like the right tool for the job is another metaphor. Yeah, you can use I think that. great is really having a voice. And, uh, but, you know, between good and great, a great is really having a voice is, is that your own. Yeah. And then when you're really great, and I think I know some really incredibly great, great players who not only skillfully can do anything technically and they know the background and the history of different musics and stuff like that. Um, and they can play anything, but even a notch above that, everything they do is uniquely them and inventive right. and they're the most hired guys. And those are the guys I'm looking for. That's who I always want to play yeah. with. After this song, like, I'm going to have to tell you, I want to tell you my Matt Chamberlain story. Okay. Cause, that's, cause it's, I think it's even harder on drums to, yeah. to have that. Yeah, I know some drummers. Yeah, and Chamberlain was the first guy that I, I remember noticing that yeah. uh, you know something other than like a guitar player. You could always hear Knopfler. You could always hear Gilmore. You could always hear certain guy Eddie. You know when he played the solo on yeah. uh, the Michael Jackson song. Yeah, like it was obvious that that was Eddie Van Halen. That's his. Yeah. That's, that's his yeah. thing. In any case, we'll come back and we'll tell, we'll tell the Matt Chamberlain story. Okay. We'll talk about the Double Berry Sax attack after that. What's this next song going to be? Uh, you know, this next song is "Falling for You." This is a song I wrote in February. Um, I was just went out on the road in the U.S. doing the double Barry Sachs attack, and then I went to Europe for a month solo, and I wanted to have a couple more tunes under my fingers that that I could play solo, and I did it with this drum machine, and um, then I put it out on this album and called the tour Awkward Songs of Love, Sin and General Mayhem, because I felt I could represent myself in yeah. its... In its unique way of what right. my thing is and it's important to have that, that. if you're touring solo it's always a good idea to have something that sounds like that yeah both for booking purposes and for people who went to the show because like if you go and you see tom petty play a solo show but then the record sounds nothing like that yeah eventually i learned though as i was doing it i was like oh well it's, it's part of the thing and it's great i can do this but i can also play the double berry sax song solo and rock them Right on acoustic, and that's valid too. So yeah. it just became part of the library of things. All right, so, so. Scrote, this is a song called Falling for You from the 2015 record Awkward Songs of Love, Sin, and General Mayhem. Once again, happy to bring you Scrote on Independence Day. I can see you clearly, never meant it to be. Your look is teasing Will I ever break free? Yes, I'm falling for you There's nothing that I can do Mesmerizing, and you lead me astray. Your grip is terrorizing till the end of the day. Yes, I'm falling for you. 
there's nothing that I can do For listening to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. This week's guest, Scrote, S C R O T E. And he was accompanied on that song by his favorite drummer, which is called Dr. Rhythm. Dr. Rhythm's boss, right? <laughs> it's a boss, Dr. Rhythm 220A. It uh, actually doesn't have its before pedals and everything to turn things on and off. Right, right, right. So what, in what, that what recording, we're talking I just 80s? turned the amp off. Yeah, 80s. I have it from then. And so. Uh, just in that recording there, I couldn't turn it off my foot, so I reached over and turned the amp, which just faded out. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And I, uh, and this is you know probably from the era uh, as well. Uh, so if you have to get them on eBay now, do you have any idea if you were to go buy one? Is this one of those things that's like vintage and costs $1,500? I have no idea. Yeah, I'd be curious. Yeah, that would be interesting. There was a guy in my high school. I remember at, at lunch one time we were wound up in the band room. I was maybe a sophomore, and the senior guitar player who was very accomplished, right? A guy named Steve. He had bought, I think it was a nine oh nine TR nine oh nine because the eight oh eight was the classic sure, original yeah. rap and hip hop yeah. drum machine. I remember nine oh nine. And nine oh nine was like the same thing almost. Yeah. So I think they're pretty sought after as well. Yeah. But he, you know, he was kind of his family was had some money, so he just he just bought it. You know, and I, I wonder if he still has it. You know, he could probably sell a thing for a lot of money nowadays. But he had plugged it. He had a carbon half stack, and we were sitting in the band room, and he had plugged it into his carbon half stack and was cracking it really, really loud. The stuff you do when you're a kid, man. Any nah, case, yeah. So that ties into my my drummer thing, which is this oh, unique yeah. thing. Uh, this uh, guy. Do you know Matt from yeah? From school? I know Matt from college a bit, and then even more up in Seattle from being yeah. on the road. He lived in Seattle. Such a great player. Yeah. And he was the first guy that I noticed. I remember years and years and years ago. Uh, I, this was before I knew this, but I was watching Saturday Night Live. And I knew him from Edie Brickell's band. So that's I knew his style because I loved that, uh, that second record they yeah. did, um, Ghost of a Dog. Right. And I was a huge fan of that. So I'm watching Saturday Night Live and I'm kind of paying half attention. I hear, this, I hear the band play, the little ins and outs, you know, between the commercial breaks. And I hear this drummer, and I'm like, holy, that guy sounds like Matt Chamberlain. That's really strange. You know, his feel, his placement of the snare, how right. he does his tom rolls, and how he does his hi-hat stuff. And it's like, that's, that's odd. So I, I was going to go to bed, but I'm like, i got to find out, because this is pre-internet, so I couldn't just right, look it sure. up. Yeah, so yeah. I waited, and sure enough, read the band credits, and here's Matt Chamberlain. He did, turned out doing, he did one year, I think, yeah. in that yeah, band. Yeah, it seems like it. And I, you know, I felt all full of oats and proud of myself that I was... Because <laughs> you can always... It's easier to do that with, play, with music instruments rather yeah. than drums. Yeah. And I was, yeah. was very proud of myself. So, man, great player. There's that sign of greatness. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know? exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. So let's switch gears here back to you. Enough of the drums and drum machines and Matt <laughs> Chamberlain stuff. Uh, you came up with this double berry sax attack, is what you yeah. call it. Yeah, it. Um, well, I had like Irene Sylvia to put what on that record with the double berry, and I think that was the only track on that record with double berry. And then the next one I did was called Pompadour. And my friend Ron Jubla, who's a fantastic berry player here in L.A., uh, so I brought him to do it again. And then I start, you know, I had one tune with three berries. Okay, and I wasn't really thinking Where about. Where do you so stop, that. Where do you <laughs> yeah, stop? It's hard to stop. So I did that, and it still didn't click with me to being a thing. So I did that record, um, and um, then I had a couple more records. And I came back around last year. I was playing in L.A. a lot. A freakish amount in LA and ended up start playing my stuff and I'm like, oh, why don't I just bring a couple berries in to play those tunes? And then uh I wasn't doing it it was in different settings and everything. And then eventually somebody came up to me and said, You know that double berry thing, you own that. Like oh, wow, oh, I own that. That's huh? when it becomes what a thing with a capital T. Huh. So I tried to show um, called Pals and did it at the end of last November as Doubleberry Sax Attack. And we've played a show, Gary Novak on drums, phenomenal drummer to stuff with, and uh, Sean Davis on bass. And then uh, I realized, wow, this plays large. This is good. This feels good. Next year being this year, right? Let me jump off at that. So, okay. and then as soon as I did, I was able to, I uh, picked up a couple of festival dates down yeah. south. And made a run down south. When you say south, do you mean South America? Do you mean Antarctica? South of the U.S. Uh, So Texas. uh, I think we had Denton, New Orleans, Nashville, Athens, Austin, kind of that run. The Chitlin circuit. Yeah. So and I've been doing that on and off solo and in different variations, just more as a time off thing. But as this kind of came together, and the response has been really, really good, so I decided to really run with it. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing, what I list as a listener and someone who works in music, it's interesting to do what you do, especially in this context, the way we're going to be doing them tonight, the first song and then some more songs over right. here in just a second, is that it's just you on guitar and then two saxes. Right. So in that regard, it's actually even more unique to me because it's implying so many other things. Usually when you hear Barry Sax, it's going, bottom, bottom. Yeah. In a song, right? That's all it's doing. <laughs> right. Or in a jazz band, it's, it's, it's got a little featured part or whatever. Yeah. It's in a saxophone section. Yeah. Or it's in morphine where it's like a lead instrument all the time. But to have the two of them playing parts in rhythm uh, and then soloing a little bit here and there, is uh, it implies so many other things. Your brain, kind of like a good novel, allows your brain to fill in the details. Yeah. Or a good song, too. Like this musically, arrangement-wise, allows your brain to kind of fill in, well, it piques your interest. Like, what's what? Are, what, are, what would the drums be doing? What would the bass be doing? Are yeah. there other horns in this? Are there trumpets in this? Is there Hammond organ in this? Like, and it's really cool. It's funny um, that yeah, the when I do the main stage thing, it's bass, drums, guitar, vocal, and two electric berries. or acoustic, electric guitar. Okay. It's fully rocking in a Queens of Stone Age. We get kind of a Queens of Stone Age. Bowie, morphine, aggro kind of high energy rock experience all the time. Those three a lot, and so in different settings like today, I was trying to think, okay, how do I do it? The other night I had drums, acoustic guitar, double berry, and I was like, well, will that work? And then like uh, with acoustic guitar, I'm trying to carry the rhythm 
And then I don't always play like bass notes live. I'm playing upper harmonic structures and colors and stuff like that. So on acoustic, like, okay, well, let me hit a bass note. Let me dry the bottom end and trying to fill that in with a berry so we were yeah. uh, for a unit and it felt it feels good you know? yeah guitar is an interesting it's instrument fun. like that because on a solo show you play lots of big low open chords you draw right. more root movement in like i call it the steve earl root movement thing like he, yeah, well, he loves right. to move those low notes around like as right. part of a melody i love that technique um but then people forget that when they're playing with a full band you gotta just think differently you gotta know? clean it up yeah. clean it up leave some space all right so know? this is scrote another song by him the song's called what's this called Two Days. Two Days, and this is from a record that came out last year, 2014, Beautifully Loud, I think that's called. And once again, featuring Dan Boise and Sylvan Carton on Barry Sachs, Scrote on Independence Day. This song's called Two Days. I can't see us trading treasure trades. I'm willing, I'm willing. Willing now, sacrifice our pleasure in your race. I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing now. There's something telling in the way you hold my hand. To I love the feeling of your breath upon my neck Today, today You and I are different but the same I'm willing, I'm willing Cause we like a little death 
on Independence Day with a double Barry Sachs attack. Please drop by indepthday.com to hear all these songs. Also, indepthday.com slash iTunes if you'd like to download the full podcast. Uh, there's also a YouTube page. I think it's uh, yep. youtube.com slash videos. I think is what it's called. Or vids. I'm not entirely sure. I should know that. I should have written down <laughs> yeah, You should know. It's all me, man. I mean, I'm, I'm on the other side of this thing, like pushing out into the world. I know mine. Yeah. It's well, easy. <laughs> well, I didn't get, well, I think it's because I didn't get what I wanted. Yeah, like I, had to, I had to had something else on there, and I had to go through several permutations of what it could be, and then sure. once it became that, it's like, ah, yeah, I'm so busy working, yeah. I don't care, just kick it out there. But yeah, unbelievably, Scrote was taking taken on most things. So it's I, probably some fifteen year old music. It's a fifteen year old kid in a basement in Detroit. Yeah, for it's, sure, has got for that. sure. So uh, anyway, that's really, again, super cool arranging, man. Thanks. Uh, what, what an innovative way to do that. And you're also doing an interesting thing tonight where, like, I used to be very, this is where used to be verboten in my world, which is playing an acoustic through an amp. Like, to me, back in the day, it was like, I was a oh, purist. Yeah. Like, I would never do that. Yeah. But now I feel like it's just another thing. It's another texture. Yep. You know? Playing on with colors. I mean, I, I prefer to not, but... There's a time and a place for it. Just depends. Yeah. You know, depends. and I'm always uh, well known for ang- you know, doing a different angle. So yeah. I, you know, I want to bring that. I want to hear it. Yeah. I want to hear something. And then a couple songs you know? ago, you did the same thing with the drum machine. You ran that through a little amp as well. Yeah. A little eight inch speaker. And Which is funny. That little Yamaha, you sh- when you showed up with that thing, I have the, ex- I'll show up, I'll put a picture of it up on our page. Yeah. Um, it's so unique. Uh, because I had, I have the exact same amp that I inherited from my uncle back in the eighties. And, but I turned mine into a talk box. You know that song that whoa, whoa yeah, from sure, Rocky yeah. Mountain Way, or it's in the Bon Jovi <laughs> it's, song. It's in uh, oh, it's uh, perfect for that. Peter Frampton, baby, that whatever. Lots of bands have used it. I think Allison Chains used it. It's a it's a kitschy yeah, thing, they do, yeah. but for the right place, man. Because I loved, I've always loved Joe Walsh. Yeah, I love the way he arranges guitar tones. And right. parts, you know, because he's always been kind of a drunken buffoon in a lot of ways. But musically, he was very, I felt, at least I felt yeah. he was very solid. He knew what yeah. he was doing. Sure. Uh, in any case, let's switch gears because we've only got about enough time for one more song. And I really want to ask you about, I don't want specific numbers. Right. But I want, to talk, I want you to talk, to me and the listeners, talk about making a living in music. Oh, right, right. right. Because I don't, again, not numbers. I, sure. I, I can extrapolate. It's feast or famine. That's the way almost everybody is, right? right? It's a roller coaster. But like, how did you get from, did, did you always make a living in music? Was it a gradual thing that you had a day job and then you kind of switched it out? Um, have you been able to be full-time music all the way along? Pretty much all the way along. I got out of college, so I went to University of North Texas, and I ended up, uh, went through mostly the jazz program there. And then because there's a lot of money in jazz, yeah, yeah, we're going for it. It got even better because I sat out and I thought, well, since I had that background, I did. I like already. I'm not really getting certain things from this. I switched to a 21st century, 20th century composition degree. So good plan. Yeah, got even better. So I uh, heavily, and that really worked out well. The jazz and that degree, um, 
you know, heavily into Stravinsky and Varez and Giannis Anakis. That still feeds me a lot. Luciano Berrio, things like that. Stockhausen. Uh, that really informs everything I do. And so um, from that, I got out of school and, you know, I was asked, teacher uh, Larry Austin, and he was like, you want to do a doctorate? I'd love to have you do a doctorate program. I was like, man, I want to rock. He's like, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I got out of school, like, okay, what does that mean? So uh, I ended up moving to San Francisco. I graduated, almost odd graduate of a music school. And so um, the uh, graduate, I moved to San Francisco. I know anything or anybody or anything going on. Uh, knew a couple of musicians. We started playing. I had to get a job. I waited tables for a few months. Then I left that, and I worked at a temp agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Then I temped at Young Arubicam, an ad agency, a huge ad agency. I worked there for a few months. Then they kept wanting to move me up. And I was like, well, you know, I'm on the road during the night. <laughs> right, right. And so that went for a while, and then I left, and then somebody uh, f- went to a radio station, Live 105, which is a sister to KISS here, and insisted I come be their uh, some kind of traffic manager and stuff like that, do graphics, computer stuff. Like, well, I don't know. So I'm there, and then I'm like working at Live 105, and Getting going on auditions for Sheila E. and uh, I got a call from Red Hot Chili Peppers and Nine Inch Nails audition. I'm like, this is freaking me out. I can't yeah, deal yeah. with the Live 105 thing. So uh, after a year and a half of juggling that stuff, I was like, I don't care. I gotta make. So you it must work. have been making some music at it, or making some money at music at that point, or was it just? Uh, a yeah, total I was jump into a little bit, but I was doing original stuff mostly. So, uh, and then I just bailed. So I was probably a year and a half, and I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. This okay. is not going to work. And then I was just like, I don't care what it takes. So I switched in and just started being on the road playing music, mostly my own. What was your you first? Know? So did you ever get a break like with someone else, like a paying gig, like a gravy gig, a big touring thing like that? No, I've always done like one off things okay. or two odd things because I've always been doing my own thing and I've kind of fear that in a way. What's fortunate honestly to be able to do that on your, it's on your kind own of terms. A, it's a weird thing, you know, and it's a roller coaster financially. Um, and then I can easily get distracted in if I'm taking a, a sideman gig and if it's going to take me out for a year or two, that's really, t- I would have to pay a lot of money, a yeah. lot of money, and I'd have to be really involved because it's kind of that job thing. Like, right. you can't move away. Well, they're buying I'm you. I'm going to end up out. doing independent my yeah. own well, stuff. Well, they're buying you, know? you out of your own gig. Yeah. Aside from and paying them really to do their really gig. It's really tough. You can do, and I know friends who do it, you know, do uh, Sideman stuff and their own stuff. Right. Um, you're still at the mercy of their schedule and everything. And um, for me, it's hard enough just writing and yeah. my stuff so. Yeah. different that I need to do it all the time. So or, tell me again, without know. numbers, tell me what like your revenue stream now, the percentage that comes from like live performing sure. versus synchronization versus composing versus whatever. Again, so the, that's a good point. Just percentages, not numbers. So basically, because I've been doing mostly an independent thing and having my own bands out on the road and everything um, and trying to work that. I mean, I, I didn't have a place for a year and a half once in San Francisco. <laughs> I was just gone all the time. Yeah. It didn't matter. It was fine. And then I finally realized, okay, I need to land somewhere. 
but you know, you've got to make money to do that and you can't be on the road all the time. So I ended up starting getting in producing and, uh, and eventually mixing and between that and band leading and MDing and all different hats of that. So producing and MDing are pretty Music director for people who aren't. Yeah, music directing, putting bands together, leading. Yeah, people don't really, you know, outside the music business don't really understand that, like, when you go see Lyle Lovett's band, uh, like, that would be the classic case, I think, for me personally. Like, there's a guy in that band who's a music director. Yeah. um, Or a girl, could be. And it's their job to maintain the band. Lyle may not even be there for rehearsals sometimes. So the, 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 you know, or maybe this particular pedal steel player can't take this tour because he's out with Lucinda Williams or whatever right so that's the music director's job to then find a replacement audition them get them up to speed so that when lyle walks in he plugs in his guitar boom it's have turn, a laundry list turnkey. of phone numbers of great right. players ready to go you know their skill set and what they the rolodex issue, what yeah. works what kind of what their strengths are and you go with that so i've done a lot of that and i still get a lot of calls of like hey can you put something together for blah 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 you know and, no, are um, usually are you, you usually part of that then, or is yeah, it, okay. yeah, I'm a, I'm almost always part of it because theoretically done, you could do it and just put them together and then kick them out the road on the road, right? Uh, well, it's come up where I haven't been available, and so I had to do that, and so uh, I'll hire a temporary MD. I'll still put it together, right? And then right, I'll right. have uh, it's more like a band leader. I yeah. hire a band leader yeah. that I MD. So that's that's happened a number of times, but uh, and I've done MD. Uh, I go very, very deep in that. Okay, <laughs> I can comfortably say I've done that than most people people could possibly imagine. Wow, and every kind of thing, um, orchestral things to small ensembles to ballet to jazz bands to rock bands yeah. and everything. So that between that and producing, producing and playing live, right? But what give sessions. me like, like ballpark? Like what percentage of your income comes from which one? Like well, no you know, numbers, but just percentages. Yeah, it's changed. So mostly it was live uh, early on. It was all live from all from live music, and then it got into producing and mixing. Uh, maybe started being fifty uh, fifty at some point. When I moved to L.A., it started being 75 producing, 25 live, and it sat in that range, and now it's starting to flip again. Oh, interesting. Um, between producing and live. Yeah. And I've done so much producing over the last few years, I'm uh, enjoying playing live more. Yeah. I played out live a lot, a lot last year. Um, yeah. So. Well, it makes me happy to hear that you have the opportunities to do both and make a living you know, in, in different ways. Because especially in the arts, you have to keep yourself energized. You have to keep yourself interested in what you're doing. Otherwise, you're dead. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm well known for being extremely motivated. But, yeah. you know, it's the thing. I love what I do, and yeah. I generally don't do much music at all that I'm not interested on some yeah. level. Yeah, again, very fortunate, man. You're yeah. in a good position. So so we've got him on enough time. We're kind of running short here, man, because we've got to roll oh, yeah. out the door. But what's this last song, man? Tell me a little bit uh, about this. This last song is another uh, Double Berry Sax Attack song called Can This Be Bad? All right. Yeah. Anything to say about it other than how awesome it is? Uh, that's about it. But maybe as you listen, imagine uh, in October, I'm doing some shows in L.A. in down south in Texas with quadruple okay. Barry Sachs. So we'll tease you with that. We'll tell you when those are going to be when we come back after this song. Great. We'll wrap things up. So one more time, Scrote on Independence Day. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Thank you. 
lost my phone, I lost my phone, I lost all my friends. Planes out of control, planes out of control, planes out of control. Is this the end? How would I know? How would I know? How would I know? Be bad. This will be Do you think we'll fit? Do you think we'll fit? Do you think we'll fit in it? I never get tired, I never get tired, I'll never get tired of quit. I love denial, I love denial, I love to swim in it. Is this really all? Is this really all? Is this really all there is? Can this be bad? Can this be bad? Can this be bad? been fantastic talking to you get to, getting to know you a little bit better finding out what you do in music how you do it um i wish we i mean this is the thing like I, these shows with a guy like you and i'm too verbose so this could be a six hour long show but we will we will spare <laughs> well thanks yeah i don't usually talk this much <laughs> yeah well we'll spare we'll spare our listeners it's it's too much and next time you do this you and i will do it over a beer because i just i love talking about this stuff. great I love people's anytime. stories man anytime. so it's so fun. make sure you stay in touch you know let Absolutely. us know what you're up and people if they want to find out what you're up to scrotemusic.com s c 
S-C-R-O-T-E music. And everybody knows how to spell that. Also, Facebook.com slash Scrote Music. Twitter, follow him at Scrote Music, which I will be doing when uh, later today when I get back to a computer. And on the 2nd of, of October... Yeah, the quadruple Barry Sachs attack. Where so does it that, stop? Where does it stop? <laughs> we'll do that on October 2nd at More York Gallery and uh, also in Texas and um, where, wherever else I can do that. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be for Barry Sachs drum kit and just vocals. And okay. If I can get away without playing guitar, I will. You know, if I can get the arrangement where the harmonic content yeah. and everything is there. The bases are covered. Yeah, it's it's there. I think it works. All right. Very cool. So the last question, well, I have two more questions. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more, I guess this first one's more of a statement than a question, but I, I, I challenge you to see how far you can go with this. Like how many, like, I'm not talking about absurd, but like try five. You, would you try five? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I might, uh, the, the quadruple might be the top with the Barry Sachs, but I guarantee you after that, yeah. I will be going something, someplace weird. It's a, it's a theoretical, well, I call it a theoretical limit. Like what's possible? You know, when you're sitting in traffic and you see the sign that says, you know, minimum 55 miles an hour, that is yeah. a theoretical minimum. Right, I'm wondering what the theoretical maximum is for Baritone. Well, I do like to have an element in a lot of things, like exactly that. Like you're doing what? Daniel Lanois calls it the element of danger, Ah, very specifically, which I love. I just hung out with him in Barcelona. Oh, very nice. And I feel, uh, and I don't know him that well, but I feel a kindred spirit in his producing and playing. Yeah. sides love what he does he's a fantastic hard he's not love interesting cat. okay and then the final question this is like a new thing on independence day which is i call it my new favorite question which i think will just evolve into my favorite question that i'm i'm going to try to ask everybody this from now okay on. great uh what makes you happy uh just music i mean it's that simple for me um uh you know playing original music really you know it's it's that simple for me you know, that's what I do, and that's how I can keep doing it, and that's why I'm I'm always motivated because I'm I'm learning and I'm feeding the you know feeding my soul and On my brain levels, that yeah. way. One okay, you know? one thing outside of music, any any outside random of thing. music, uh, any random thing. Hey, I'll tell you, I like cooking. Okay, and I think of cooking like mixing records. Yeah. You get the right ingredients. You got to get at the right level. Then you need that something magic of to danger. take it unique. Yeah, you need, you know, you need all to look open the cupboard, and if you're good, you can make something interesting and yeah. good and be on the edge. It's a creative skill. Indeed, you do, my yeah. friend. All right. Well, again, I encourage you, please stay in touch. You know, I'm interested in what you're doing. People drop by scrotemusic.com to see what you're up to. Buy his records. Uh, I always chide people. People should buy music. It's We're in a weird era now. Even if you buy it online, the artists are not being supported the yeah, way they should be. Yeah, it really is what makes things keep going. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't walk really up to is. Starbucks and steal coffee. You wouldn't go to the gas station and fill up your tank and expect to just drive away. Music is a commodity just like anything else, and the artists need to be paid. I was in Europe uh, getting uh, th- people were supporting uh, merchandise on Bandcamp. It would show up on my PayPal credit card minutes after things were purchased. Oh, I was using it on the tour merchandise that was bought half a world away. Man. So that, Feeding it's, the tank. It's, it's got for a, real. It's got how it goes, man. So, Scrote, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. All thank right. You. So, thanks to Scrote, also to the Independence Day staff of Valentino Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The High Society, Tony Tonelope Piscotti, manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. And please, please, please be good to one another.